Morning, all. Morning to those of you watching online as well on this beautiful November morning. We started a series last week introduced by that video called Open. It's all on one passage of scripture. So if you think, Rob, you did that last week, uh, <clears throat> not so much. We'll do one passage of scripture uh, over the course of five weeks. We started the series with a message called Open Your Mouth. And it's, it's, it's looking at the extended conversation that Jesus has with an unnamed woman uh, he meets in Samaria, often called, shorthanded, as the woman at the well. We're going to look at the second of five parts of that conversation this morning. And here, it takes an unexpected turn, which some of you would know if you've heard this story before. And what I mean by an unexpected turn is this long conversation that takes up most of this chapter. Jesus is talking about one subject, and all of a sudden he's talking about something very different. And the topic that he's talking about is sin, right? Human sin, which is not a very comfortable subject for anybody to be talking about. So Jesus brings us up. What is sin? I should take a second to say that. Sometimes we, we, it's a concept we're not so clear on, or we, maybe we get our, our ideas about this sometimes, these ideas that are perhaps not from the Bible but from our, our culture. But maybe the simplest way to say <clears throat> what is sin is sin is the wrong that we do relative to God's um, revelation, God's um, laws, you might say. The wrong that we do and the wrong that has been done to us, okay? The wrong that we do and the wrong that is done to us. Otherwise said, it's the cause of most of the trouble that is in our world and in our lives today, right? But you think about that. Sometimes we think of sin as this sort of, you know, separate thing out there, you know, that somehow intersects our life and doesn't intersect our life when we're young or when we do something stupid, right? But sin, the way the Bible talks about it, is really the cause behind every cause of all the trouble that's not only in the world at large, we could talk about big issues today, front pages of the newspaper, but the trouble that is in your individual life, things that you might not even be comfortable talking about today uh, with yourself or with a friend. It's the cause of the trouble we have. What we learn from this passage, okay, listen very carefully. What we learn from this passage and others is sin is not simply an offense to God. Now, you, perhaps you've heard that before. Sin is, you know, God gives us his laws, his ways, and we sort of cross over the line. We miss the mark. And sin, in a sense, is an offense to God. And that is true because, because God, as he's portrayed in the scriptures, is what we would call holy and perfect. None of us are. We don't have a category for that, in a sense, relative to human nature. But God is holy and he's perfect. And so when you and I offend God, when we act in disobedient ways, when we do wrong things or have wrong things happen to us, it is an offense to God. However, that's true, but it is also, right, colon, comma, you know, it is also sin, the brokenness that keeps us from the life that we both want and need, right? Just think about that definition for a minute. When I think about sin, whatever, whoever you are, whatever disappointments you have or have had in your young life, in your not-so-young life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in the world at large, in your career, sin is, one, it's an offense to God. There's one sense in which that is true, but it is also 
should be defined, could be defined as the brokenness that keeps you, keeps me, keeps my friends from what it is we both want and need in life. And if you've lived long enough and say, I've given so much of my life to this venture, to this opportunity, to this relationship, to this marriage, to raising my kids, to doing whatever it is that I thought was meaningful, that I thought my life was about, and it didn't work out. In fact, it was a disaster. If you think about it, often the cause of that is the brokenness in your life, in your situation, in your family. Sin is an offense to God, but it is also the brokenness that keeps us and your friends and mine from what you most want and need in life, okay? Well, then that's a different story. Now you got my attention, maybe, okay? So open your life is the title of this sermon. We're going to look at some familiar verses. I mean, some we read last week, some we didn't. John 4, verses 7 through 19. Follow along as I read. John 4, 7 through 19. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with people like me, Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you plan to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and livestock? Speaking about, she knows something about her Bible, the book of Genesis. Are you greater than him? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them, this is a very odd, will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Wow, what in the world is this guy talking about? Okay. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and come Keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Wow. Talk about a left-hand turn in the conversation. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, people have been, as long as people have been reading this passage, some of you have heard it for the first time today, maybe, or in a long time. Some of you are very, very familiar with this story, often called the woman at the well. But as long as people have been reading this passage, they have been surprised, maybe you were, at the abrupt answer or abrupt change of subject that Jesus brings in the 16th verse. They're having this great conversation. At one level, it's about water, about because she's at the well, about coming, getting drink. Jesus sort of raises the stakes, maybe goes from literal to something more um, theological or, or spiritual, living water, and, and you'll never be thirsty again, and it's not something that you ever come to the well to get. This satisfaction is not going to come from anything external to you. It's going to come from something internally like a spring inside, very strange, 
but so far so good. And she says, well, listen, I'm in, right? Verse 15, uh, give me this water. But Jesus doesn't do what you would expect him to do, right? When she finally says, you know, give me this water, if you're a good friend, if you're a prophet, listen, if you're an evangelist, you know what I mean by that, that you're someone whose job it is or, or passion it is to share the gospel with other people, and you've been talking about it in the metaphor of living water, you've been talking about how God can meet the inner needs of your life, and finally this person who was a little bit reluctant at first says, listen, I'm in, give me this water, you think, this is the time you close the deal, Jesus, this is, she said, uh, give me this living water. Why, oh why, Jesus, are you making things so complicated? Why are you ruining this opportunity? Why are you playing hard to get? See, if this was me, Jesus, I would have, I would have given her exactly what she asked for, but Jesus is trying to teach us something about what sometimes we call easy believism. Listen, the gospel is... Um, the free gift of God. It's the good news. God sent his son into the world, you've heard this before, to do something that we could never do for ourselves. He died on the cross, not for his sins, but for ours. He took a bullet for you. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin and the sin of all the world. And then the judgment of God came on him. He rose from the dead. Death was the consequences of sin. And he conquered death and then he says, I've earned the right. I've overcome death and sin, which is, leads to death. And I can offer you the forgiveness of sins. This is the beauty of the gospel. And everything I just said is true. However, however, what this passage tells us is, the gospel is not simply the, about the forgiveness of your sin. It's about the remaking of your whole life. And when you come to the gospel, Jesus doesn't just want to forgive your sin. He wants to rebuild you from the inside out. Are you open for that? That's what it means to receive the gospel. That's what we're learning in this passage with this woman. Okay, He's not changing the subject, go call your husband. He's getting right at the subject. What's the subject? Her spiritual thirst. He's trying to help this woman connect the deep ache in her life with the only thing that can truly meet it. Listen, Jesus asks a question that pierces at the center of her life. I don't know what that question would be for you. Okay, just bring it to mind, okay? But whatever that question is, the thing you don't want anyone else to know about you, the thing you might most be ashamed of, and the thing even if you're not a Christian or are, that you think you're most unlikely to want to share this with anybody, that even God's not interested in this area of your life. Okay, that's what Jesus gets to. He asks her a question that pierces pierces at the center of her life, not to hurt her, but to help her. Listen carefully. Because it's at the center of our lives that the gospel does its greatest work. That's why it's here. Okay? That's why it's here. And if you really want to help people and you really want to reach people, you have to get personal. Because the thing that's really keeping people from coming to know Christ or a full experience of Christ is the pain that's at the center of their lives. And the pain that's at the center of their lives, the shame that's at the center of their lives, or my life or your life, is exactly the express purpose of the gospel. 
say. But see, some of us are avoiding those subjects in our own life and we're avoiding it in the lives of others. If you really care about people, if you really want to reach people, you have to get personal. Listen carefully. Jesus did not come only to forgive your sins. He did come for that. He came to heal you from the damage that sin causes in your life. Okay, that's different. Yes, I want the forgiveness of sins. Lord, give me this water. Jesus, seal the deal. She's opened the door. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you that. I want to give you that. I died so that you might have the forgiveness of sins. But there's more than that. I want to heal you from the damage and the ravages that the sin has has brought into your life. I want to heal that too. And I can't do that until you even know what it is. Right? Go call your husband. Right? She'd been seeking to have her deepest needs met for love and acceptance in relationships that were incapable of ever meeting that need. That's his point. He's not trying to hurt her. He's trying to help her. And in this case, this is where the passage, friends, has a universal application. Because all of us are doing this or have done this at one time or another in our lives. We're trying to satisfy our deepest thirst, our deepest needs in ways somewhere else than God. And you have, to, you have to come to terms with that if you really want the healing that the gospel offers. Jesus asks her a piercing question that gets to the center of her life, not to hurt her, but to help her. The reason many people in my life and in your life, I'm guessing, are not open to a conversation about the gospel, who aren't here today, who've said no to you 101 times, is because you or I, because they, I should say this, they do not see the relationship between the pain that's in the center of their lives and the gospel. They don't know these things have anything to do with each other. Right? What do they know about the gospel? And Jesus says, this is what I've called you to do. Sometimes you have to get personal, your own life, before you get personal. When you've shared with your friends, have you started with the pain in your own life? Have you started with the shame in your own life? They say, listen, so many words people are saying, listen, before you tell me, friends, how much God loves me, tell me how he's loved you. All right? Tell me how he's loved you. You have to get personal. Let me say this quickly. The greater questions in this passage, why I'm taking five weeks to look at it, the greater questions in this passage they happen after the section we look at. Jesus is going to have a conversation next week with this woman about worship. Oh my goodness. If you know anything about the New Testament, if you know anything about why Jesus came, Jesus Christ said in so many words to this woman, never to his disciples, never to anyone in Jerusalem, never to his family members, to this woman who was a, a, a nobody, a Samaritan, that he met here at this voice. Let me tell you something. A time is coming and is now here. Where everything you know about the world and that I know about the world around us, this, this, this temple in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in, in, in Samaria, 
right? This, this second temple by the Samaritans and this elaborate worship system behind me that you think is you're, it's beyond your reach. You're a Jew. You'd have nothing to do with me. This elaborate system that is, wait for it, a thousand years old with a temple first built by Solomon, then built by Herod, which was an architectural wonder like nothing no one had ever seen. 26 years it took them to build this thing. And Jesus said, listen, let me tell you something I've not told anyone. It's all coming down overnight. It's, the time is coming and now it's, we're, no one's going to worship God this way. It's all going to end. It's going to happen right now. That's coming next. And after that, if that wasn't enough, then he says to her, when she's, she, she knows enough of her Bible to say, listen, thanks for grabbing my attention. Thanks for telling me all these great things. And she said, I know this, that when the Messiah comes, He's going to reveal everything to us. Thanks for giving me some insights. You know what he says to her? The only person he ever says this to. He doesn't say it in Jerusalem. doesn't say it to his disciples. doesn't say it to his family. He said, let me tell you something, lady, between you and me. I, the one speaking to you, I'm him. The world's been waiting a thousand years for this. And believe it or not, the time has come right now. And you're the first person I'm telling this to. Now, neither one of those questions would have ever come up. Neither one of those questions would have ever been answered if they didn't answer this one first. Okay? Your friends are not asking the deeper questions because you're skipping the first and most important question, which is, what's the pain at the center of your life? you got to get personal, starting with yourself. Second, you need to be patient. Right? Go call your husband and come back before she can even deal with such a wild request. Jesus goes on to say, listen, don't, you don't have to tell me much because I already know the answer to that question and I know a whole lot more. Now what does this woman say? What would you say? She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Okay, <laughs> you know, she's, pretty, she's either quick on her feet and she's being sarcastic right? Someone said to you, listen, looked you right into your soul, looked through your, into your deepest, darkest uh, place in your life and said, let me tell you what I know about you. Let me tell you what keeps you up at night. Let me tell you about your whole life and the things that have caused you so much pain. Let me tell you right now, to a stranger said that to you that you'd never met before with perfect accuracy. Your friends don't even know what this guy just told you. And she says, sir, um, I think you're a prophet. Okay? So she's either saying, she's either being sarcastic or she's doing what I might do. She's trying to change the subject. Okay? Religion, politics, the Buffalo Bills. I, let's talk about anything other than the pain that's at the center of my life. But here's the point that I'm trying to make to you. Jesus is showing us. She needed more time to make sense of the pot stirring that Jesus was doing in her life. That's the point. Once you get personal with your friends and begin to talk about the more important things and begin to say in so many words, let me tell you the pain at the center of my life that Jesus Christ has healed. And friend, let me tell me about you. When you get into that territory, you got to slow down. Okay? you got to slow down. She still doesn't understand who Jesus is. Sir, I, you're, you're a prophet. And she also does not understand the true 
dimension of her need. She knows he's got he's he's onto something. She certainly knows this pain central to her life, and he's brought it up. She's hoping there's something there, but she still doesn't really know who he is. And she doesn't fully understand the dimension of her own needs. What's the cause of the brokenness in her life? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't have to get thirsty and come here, keep coming here to draw water. I think at this point, I don't think she's really clear on what he's talking about, but I think she knows enough to know we're not talking anymore about H2O. I don't know what you're talking about, but if you can end my thirst and end my shame to keep coming here to draw water, why did Jesus meet her in the first place? It's noon. The Bible tells you that for a reason, verse 6. Why? Because women in this culture hung out together and they would go at 7 or 8 in the morning and it would be a social time as well as a functional thing to get some water. But this woman, no one wanted anything to do with her. She was a pariah. If you had five husbands, the guy you're now living with is not your husband. We don't want anything to do with you. Okay? A shame had attached her to her life and was not letting go. And she just said, listen, I don't know what you're about, but if you can satisfy the deepest thirst in my life, if you can help deal with the shame that's attached itself to me, I'm all in. Whether she knows it or not, she's elevated the level of conversation or she's entered into an elevated level of conversation. Okay? This happens when it happens. About five years ago, one of my, I may have told you this story, one of my high school friends, we were buddies all the way back in high school, and uh, with this group of guys, and he came down with terminal cancer. Had it for about a year, we hung out, we'd watch football games, I mean this group of you know, six or eight of us, and we'd talk and this, and, and of course I would pray for him here and there, pray with him, pray for him. You know, he's known me for many years, even before I was a pastor. But, you know, not a church-going guy. He's Jewish. So my, my, my opportunities were limited. I just wanted to be there for him. But his one day goes by. He's now at a care facility about a month before he died. His wife says, listen, she said, um, he, he, my husband is called up. He wants you some private time with you. Can you come? In other words, we're not going to let anyone else come because they have so many people surrounding him as often as the case when you're near the end of your life. I said, absolutely. Come at such and such a time. So I came into his room, just me and him, laying in his bed, but totally with it. And he said, listen, um, I want to talk about God. Okay. I'm in. <laughs> and he said, uh, so I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just start with myself. I'm not going to get into, give him a sermon. I'm not going to, I just said, you know, I wanted to start because he, we'd known each other since we were 15 years old. I said, let me just tell you what he'd already heard. Let me just tell you a little bit about my story. I mean, this is five minutes or ten at the most. Because I'm telling him what he already knows, but I'm sort of emphasizing what God had done for me. Right? Let me tell you about the, the pain at the center of my life. Okay? And how Jesus Christ not only forgave my sins, but he's doing a work of healing in my life. And has been all these years. And we got done. He said, um, um, I want that. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, okay. And I said, uh, I'm glad to share that with you. And before I finished, he said, not only do I want that, but he said, I've wanted this for a very long time. 
I was shocked. But I was too afraid to bring it up. Wow. Unbelievable. You got to get personal. Listen, you got to be patient. You got to be patient. Between the time I became a Christian, a know-it-all, little college freshman Christian, and the time I was in that room, 30-plus years had gone by. It's something I've wanted to do, and I've wanted to do it for a very long time. That's what's happening with this woman. I don't know if you can really help with the emptiness that's at the center of my life. I don't know if you can remove the shame that's attached itself to me that's now a part of my new normal when I come here in the middle of the day. But if you are, I'm open. That's what she's saying. Okay? She's beginning to understand that the gospel is not here just to forgive your sins, but to heal you from the damage they've caused. Okay? I'm open. I'm reading a book now. Some of you may know it. The writer's name is John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. The title of the book is called Live No Lies. In the first part of the book, he talks about the devil, okay? And he says this. Like, you, you know, you could say this about many subjects, even about God. But he says, you know, there's a lot of street theology out there about the devil, and some people, even Christians, you know, if you said write it down on a piece of paper, who knows what they'd come up with? Well, now, who is the devil? Is there a devil? But he said, let me tell you in a very short uh, uh, way what the primary description of the devil is in the New Testament. He's a liar. That's the primary description. Quotes John chapter 8. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's saying, listen, the devil's primary work, right, is not to put a needle in your arm, not to ruin your marriage. The devil's primary work is for you to believe things that are not true. That's what he's saying. And then he said this, one of his definitions. So what is sin? We believe a lie... Sin is believing a lie about what will make us happy when I think about people, Christians and nons. You be, we believe a lie about things that we think will make us happy. Oh my goodness, the list is so long if I were to make one today. We live in a world that's saturated with telling you, telling me, in the church, outside of the church, what you need to do, right? It's not just always a, you know, a lake house and, 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 and you know, obvious um, you know, uh, ostentatious kind of wealth. You need to have a family. You need to be married. I mean, the list is very long. We believe the lie about what will make us happy. Then he said, when those things don't work out, which they often don't, they don't deliver on their promises, then we take another lie. In this lie, he said, I love this, we let it into our body, right? As we live the lie, which is the title of the book. Lies like, I'm unlovable. I'll never be successful. If you really knew me, you'd reject me. Right? And those are the lies that ruin your life and tear you down and shut the door on God's grace forever and ever for many people. I would suggest to you a lot of people that I know and that you know, they're walking around with those kinds of lies, like this woman. 
no one will ever love me. Right? I will, after the failures I've been through, I will never be successful. I've been walking around with this shame uh, for all of my life. And Jesus says, not so. I've come to forgive your sin. I've also come to heal you from the damage. But this takes time, friends. It takes time in your life. It takes time in the life of your friends. Those lies need to be confronted. Some people don't even know what it is. They don't even know why their lives have been a train wreck, right? They don't even know what the causes of the trouble in their life is. Sin is not only an offense to God, it's the brokenness that's keeping you from what you most want in life that takes time. You need to be get personal, starting with yourself. You need to be patient. Lastly, you need to center your conversation in the gospel. I will say more of this next week, but verse 10 is one of the greatest verses on the gospel in the New Testament, like John 3, 16. If you knew the gift of God, so the implication is, think about your friends, my friends. If you knew the gift of God, the implication is you don't know it. You got all these wrong ideas, whether you grew up in church or not, and, you, and, and you've already rejected something and you don't even know the gift of God, or who it is that asks you for a, a, a drink, you don't know the gift of God. Listen, you don't know who I am. That is Jesus, the lover of your soul. You don't know who the gift of God, if you really knew these things, oh my goodness, you'd ask for the moon. Okay? But what's he really talking about? Listen very carefully. We'll talk more next week. What's the gift he's talking about? If you knew the gift of God. Well, the gift in some ways, is of course the gospel, but it's more specific than that. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, listen carefully, a spring of water welling up into eternal life. It's a, it's, it's, he's turning the metaphor inside out. Forget about this, uh, this whole source of satisfaction. The well for water or the world, anyone who drinks this water, that is what the world has to offer, will never be satisfied. But I'm going to give you a source that you can't buy, that you don't have to go anywhere. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in Samaria. It's not in New York City. It's, the, it's nowhere. It's going to be inside of you. And it's, not, it's, it's, it's an unlimited supply. It's a spring of water, right? It's an unending source. What's he talking about? John seven thirty seven. Listen carefully. On that last day, the greatest day of the festival, just three chapters later, Jesus stood in a loud voice. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Same metaphor, same big idea, spiritual thirst. Whoever believes in me. Okay, now he's telling you what I'm talking about. Who believes in me. In other words, they put their trust in the finished work of Jesus. As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wow, now it's a river of living water. I think he's quoting the book of Ezekiel. What's he talking about? Ready for the metaphor to end, verse 39. By this, he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Some of you know this, New Testament theology. You know, a, 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 a 
A short period of time later, after Jesus Christ dies and rises from the dead, 50 days goes by, and Pentecost happens. It's, a, it's an annual festival, Jewish festival. And on this particular Pentecost, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down in dramatic form. And the church of Jesus Christ starts thousands of people. Lives are changed in one moment. That's when it came down, let's say, in a definitive blanket kind of way. But see, in John chapter 4, it broke out in the life of this woman. Wait till you see what happens. Okay. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a whole other message. Let me just say this. The gift that Jesus wants to give. What does the Holy Spirit do? It takes the truths of the gospel, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, which is the heart of the gospel. Everyone that's a Christian here is a Christian because you've believed on him and your sins have been paid for by a proxy. Someone took a bullet for you. His name is Jesus. He paid the penalty for your sin. Now, so far so good. But Rob, my, my heart, I'm still full of anger. I'm still full of lust. I'm still full of greed. My life is still a mess. I know. I know. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, is to take the gospel. It's, a, it's, in, it's not outside of you. It's now inside of you. And it's to actualize the truths of the gospel in your life that's unique to you. You know, this, I don't know, I'm making this up, but it's like, you know, okay, you know, we're in Gary. Nerve center. Where's Gary's greatest pain? Well, it's up here in the right corner. Let's send something over there. Where's Gary's greatest shame? It's down there. Let's send something down there, okay? I'm gonna give you something a gift that is big enough for all of your sin, not only to forgive you of your sin, but to heal the damage that is caused. Okay? And what you and I need to do is be patient, get personal, I should say, be patient, and center our conversations in the gospel, and God will do his work when he does his work. Very quick story. I was in Dallas a month ago, just for a couple days for different reasons, but one of, the, one of this friend of mine said, listen, I need some time with you, and I said, okay. He said, we've been friends since the middle 90s. We worked together. I went to grad school. He was a worship leader, songwriter. I was a young pastor getting my act together. And we did work together. And then we've been friends on and off since then. We've seen him a lot because he lives in Texas. But he said, listen, I want to get together with you. We had a long dinner. We had a long drive. He said, I need to catch you up. He said, you know, my father went through this horrible illness, which I did. He succumbed to a horrible, horrible disease. It ravaged his dad's life for all those years. Dad was a, a well-known minister in town, very, very well-known name. And he said, um, I have to tell you, what you don't know is it ruined me. It plunged me into a dark place that, that my father's uh, illness. I was so angry with God, so angry with everybody. And he said, I got into this gambling problem. It started with poker, and then it went on to other things, and it ravaged my life, and I almost lost my family. I almost lost my wife. It was coming to an end. And I said, wow. He said, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. I said, good. <laughs> okay. He said, what happened next was my father-in-law was near the end of his life, and I was in the hospital sitting by his bed. And for some reason, my wife was not there. She left the room, and I just stared and looked at him, and I all of a sudden, all this anger, all this rage about my father's sickness and illness, 
And all this anger with God just sort of rose up within me and I just started to weep and I was so angry. And this nurse came in. I'd only met her 15 minutes earlier. I didn't know her from anybody. And she just sat down, put her kind of her arm on my shoulder. And he said, she, did, she just said something to me a couple minutes. She said it, he said, it wasn't a verse of scripture, but it was kind of like a verse of scripture. And it said something to the effect of, Todd, your suffering, my suffering, God has a purpose for suffering. And almost like a, you know, like a, like a grain of sand in an oyster kind of thing, she said, that purpose ultimately in God's time often is turned into something beautiful. And that's my prayer for you. It's all she said. But she said, as she said that, he said, Rob, this has never happened to me before, never happened to me since. It was the most unusual, almost out-of-body experience. When she got done saying that, just being a nice woman, nurse, he said, to my mind came up the lyrics of a song. He's a songwriter. He'd written 25 years earlier about this very same topic. He said, the song lyrics came to my mind and they was like they were plunged deep down into the center of my life, into the center of the, and it detonated. And I experienced the love of God. I experienced the grace of God in a way that I had never experienced in my life. It was overwhelming. And he said, listen, he knows I'm a pastor and we've had a long, he said, now listen, I don't know if I just became a Christian and all the rest of that, all those years of even being in the ministry was just religion, I don't know, or somehow through the supernatural power of God, he took what was in my head and he brought it down in my heart. He goes, but I don't care because that moment, my life was forever sealed in the kingdom and it's never been the same since. Okay, hallelujah. Yeah, amen. We need to get personal. We need to be patient, right? And we need to center our conversations on the gospel. We shouldn't tell people that God, we should tell people that God loves them, but only God through his spirit, here's my point, can make those truths known to your friends and mine. Okay? You just got to keep coming back to the gospel. Be, get personal, be patient. Center your conversations in the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for these, for these minutes. We love you, we thank you. Be with us today as we head into our week. Help us, Lord, to remember what it is that you have called us all to do. You have, you have called us to go into a world that is broken. And we know why it's broken. Because sin has damaged every square inch of this world including our inches help us Lord to be open to this great um, reality in the lives of our friends help us Lord to start with ourselves and to be all the more committed to the work of the gospel in our own lives as we share it with others with whom you have called us to reach in Jesus name